1: episode I think we're something like episode 291 unique shows now so we've been going for nearly seven years which uh, is quite incredible I think and so I'm really excited about uh, the conversation today we're going to talk about curiosity Uh, we have uh, Stephen Morris uh, on the show and Stephen was on the show a few months ago with Libby Wagner and Owen Sillaban and we talked then about the artistry of engagement and I really enjoyed talking with um, with all three of them and uh, Stephen um, it sent me a wonderful presentation around curiosity, so I had to have him back on the show again um, because he's a wonderful guy. And um, Before I, I really introduce um, more, you more about Stephen and more about the show today, um, I had a, um, a, a week off, um, had a little holiday. So we played a show last week on leading people, which was one um, where I was interviewed. Um, but before that, we had a show with David White. And uh, David uh, White, that's W-H-Y-T-E, is an incredible man. He's a poet, an author, a speaker. And we talked about the conversational nature of reality. And uh, unfortunately, it wasn't the best um, reception. David was on the, on the, on the, on the landline. Um, but uh, if you take the time to listen to that and really pick out um, some of the gems that are in that conversation that I think, like me, you might find it uh, you know fairly life-changing. You know we talked about uh, you know the illusions of life and uh, and and uh, some of the misconceptions that we have. And uh, it was really, really powerful. Insightful thinking. So uh, do check that uh, do check that show out. And then the week before that, we had David Fox Pitt, uh, who's raised forty million pound for charity with his events. And we had Kevin Harrington the uh, the week before, um, talking about um, entrepreneurship and uh, some amazing things that he's done. So we're blessed, and and so I'm delighted we have amazing guests on the show. And Stephen Morris is no exception. Now I, w- I once asked a global director for a really famous coffee brand. I said to him, "What's the number one skill that your company look for when they're recruiting great candidates? He said, "It's curiosity," and I've since I filmed that. And I, when I speak about engagement, I often show that film, and um, and people are really, really impacted by it. You know, seeing somebody very senior in a, in a big coffee company. Um, it was it was Costa Coffee. I think that's okay to share. Um, and uh, and realising that that's what they're looking for in, in people, to identify the distinction between people and uh, uh, and pick brilliant candidates. And um, I think um, this is therefore just a brilliant conversation. And when Stephen sent me the, a, a keynote on curiosity, and, uh, and I actually felt with Stephen that I wanted to uh, spend a little bit more time with him as well, um, it really made sense to, to talk about this fascinating subject. <laughs> Now, to live and work wholeheartedly with meaning and purpose, business leaders need to know what they stand for and how to instill their beliefs in action. And Stephen's on a mission to help organizations and their leaders to really rise to their potential and make a very positive impact on the world of their customers. Um, He's um, um, been working for, for the past 25 years. He's been a leader and an innovator on brand strategy and organizational life and wholehearted leadership, as well as being a really accomplished artist. He's been honoured to work with more than 250 global, national and regional companies and over 2,300 business leaders. He's a speaker at big national events. He's regularly hired for corporate keynotes. He's done work with people like Samsung and LG and professional excellence. He's written and published two books, including Brand Love and Loyalty and Humanising the Customer Journey. And his forthcoming book is The Evolved Brand. How to Impact the World Through the Power of Your Brand, and that'll be published in late 2018. He's also actually worked with David White as well in in the past, so he may mention that in the the conversation. Uh, And he's a really great example of curiosity yielding not just success in work, but in, in talking with him, he's got a really thriving family as well. His hobbies include surfing and um, well, and uh, it may amuse me when he's trying to avoid bears and cougars when he's out running. Um, but he's, he's just really, you know, a fascinating, um, fascinating man. And and I think it's you know a great person to get really curious about curiosity with and see how it's uh, you know helped him, how it can help other people by. Um, getting some of that childhood curiosity back, and, and I think it's something that's so important that we, we ensure that our kids don't, uh, don't let go of, because it's a, it's a brilliant skill. So, huge welcome uh, to uh, Stephen Morris.
2: Oh, well, thank you, Chris. I am absolutely thrilled to be here today, and I have uh, thoroughly enjoyed uh, all the conversations that we've had thus far, and I'm very excited to talk to you and, uh, and your entire audience about curiosity.
1: Thank you, thank you. Well, great to have you on the show. Uh, likewise, I, I love talking to you. i I'm always uh, enjoy our conversations, and I hope we have uh, many, many more to come as well. And you know, Stephen, you you live in San Diego. Tell us a bit about what life's like in San Diego for you, and you know what you what you do there. And um, I guess I'm curious.
2: Yeah, I love it. it. I'm curious about uh, how this conversation will unfold. So, um, so yeah, I can talk about my world from sort of two perspectives. But uh, you know, the challenge is, uh, you know, to live and work wholeheartedly. I think you need to integrate uh, as much as possible all the things that we do. Um, So, you know, on the personal side of things, I am a, a family man. I'm thrilled to say that uh, just two weeks ago, uh, my wife and I, Christine, just celebrated our 25th wedding anniversary. Um, you know, as Joseph Campbell would say, you know, a wedding is not just, uh, or a marriage is not just a relationship. It's, it's truly an ordeal. And uh, you know, if you spend, you know, a quarter of a century with somebody, you go through lots of changes, and not the least of which is uh, uh, having and raising the two boys that we have. Uh, they're both in their late teens and early twenties, and um, being a father. And a uh, sort of a, a guardian to uh, their introduction into the world. It's been such a pre- pleasure and honor to, you know, to kind of show them our our world as we see it, and and to guide them through their perspectives within how they're going to enter into the world and the and the young men that they're, they're becoming. So, so that's sort of the the personal side of things. Um, On the vocational side of things, I really live in three different worlds. And uh, Christy did a great job of mentioning uh, some of the work that I've done uh, with my uh, brand strategy consultancy called Mth Degree. Um, So for the past 24 years, I've I've built, run uh, that company. And last year, I sold off the the marketing side of that company so I could focus in on the brand strategy and the brand consultancy work, which... uh, really does a couple of different things. It's uh, helping organizations evolve and tap into their most deeply held beliefs. Mm And then infuse those beliefs and the language within them uh, throughout the organizational life that the the team is living within. Um, So I do workshops and keynotes around things like curiosity or things like brand and belonging and and things of that nature, but I also work with them uh, to evolve the organization and evolve the brand. So that's sort of one of the things that I do. The the second thing that I do is uh, the podcast that you had uh, a few months ago with my two partners in in an organization called The Studio. in The Studio uh, are essentially three practicing artists. Uh, myself, um, who is a painter, uh, Libby Wagner, who is a poet and a organizational consultant, and Owen El Salban, uh, who is also closely connected to David White, um, as well as Libby. Uh, so it's sort of an incestuous little world here, uh, as this stems from David White. Uh, Owen is an, an Irish musician and a consultant and uh, does tours through Ireland and, and a whole bunch of other things and uh, a lot of performance with his family as well. So mm-hmm. what what I do with my studio mates is we go into organizations and we help the leaders and the teams of those organizations deploy what we call the circle of artistry and help leaders live, work uh, more wholeheartedly. And some of that has to do with innovation and some of that has to do with how they communicate and how they uh, not just live, but how they work in their world. And then the third thing that I do is, as you mentioned, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a very accomplished painter. I, I show all over the country for what I do. My work would be considered uh, figurative abstract uh, for those artists out there. They'll, they'll probably understand what that means. Uh, but I've been doing that for the last 30 years and um, uh, take a great amount of joy in, and pleasure and cathartic understanding of myself through my painting practice. And then, in addition to all of that, um, you know, I, I spend a lot of time, Chris, as you and I have talked about in nature, and I love to do what's what we would consider here as applied exercise. So, I practice yoga. Uh, I do that as much as I can, either in a studio or outdoors. My wife is a yoga teacher. And I also do uh, a lot of trail running. I, I run at least uh, 30 miles a week on the local trails uh, here in San Diego. And then I'll, I'll get out surfing um, at least three times a week at the different breaks and um, sometimes even travel across the globe. Uh, we go to Hawaii every year for, um, for vacation, have a little place over there and do a little surf on the north shore of Maui and, and other islands over there. So um, my life is full of adventure and uh, I love being surrounded by nature when I'm, I'm working on the exercise side of things.
1: It sounds like you have a, an amazing sounding life, and you know I'm really kind of intrigued. You know you you're you're doing this branding brand work, and you're out there working with studio leadership around uh, around the country, and uh, and you're uh, managing to fit in 30 miles a week of exercise. You're surfing three times a week, uh, and uh, and then you've got time to do art, which is quite quite time consuming. I imagine. How do you fit it all in?
2: Well, yeah, so that's my if my wife were here on on the on the interview, she would say he's got a massive amount of energy and and, <laughs> and that I do. Uh, i I still do mean uh, you know I, I get in you know at least eight hours of sleep every night, but uh, when I'm not sleeping, I'm always doing something. and um I think you know for me, a lot of it is you know being very disciplined around certain routines, and we may get into some of that mm-hmm. later. So my morning routines uh, include. Uh, Certainly meditation and journaling, but then there's also some movement always mixed into that. Uh, I tend to get up very early and I'll fit all of that stuff in before I even begin working, which I'm usually uh, at work doing what I consider my deep work uh, in the morning hours because I'm freshest. So typically from about 7 to about 11.30 or noon. I am doing only deep work, which is writing and strategy and and things of that nature. So really, a lot of it has to do with being disciplined around um, you know putting your time and energy in the right areas, and knowing also what um, what energizes you. So for me, uh, some of the exercise work that I do, both yoga running and surfing, Uh, It actually fuels my energy to, uh, you know, to get me through work days, uh, even if I'm running a long workshop or something like that. I'll always try and get a few miles of run in between or before those things.
1: So what time does the alarm go off in your house?
2: Uh, I actually don't use an alarm. Well, actually, I rarely use an alarm. So, uh, I'm usually up around five uh, without an alarm. So, my my body clock just sort of wakes me up and, and I tend to be one of those people who uh, I, I know for people who are not morning people, uh, folks like myself who are morning people. Who are ready to go from the moment they get up? Uh, it's quite annoying for them because they need a couple <laughs> cups of coffee in order to get going. And and uh, I rarely drink coffee. And if I do, it's usually just mid morning and and things like that. So I, I just uh, I get up early. Uh, my my body clock just wants to get up, and I'm I'm just ready to go when when I'm when I'm up.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm not sure. I I find as I've got a little bit older, I've got um, now. So I actually, I want to get up earlier. Uh, I don't know whether it's. Um... It's a realization that I need to use my time well now, um, but I do feel like I do want to get up early, and actually probably want, I feel like I want to sleep a bit uh, earlier at night and not stay up so late. Just
2: Yeah, um, I, I I find the same thing, and, and I was even a morning person back when I was in undergraduate school, and I would, uh, on purpose, uh, you know, assign myself to 7.30 a.m. classes, which is... Mm-hmm utterly ridiculous for you know a college student to want to do that but I what I'd like to do is just squeeze my classes in early and by noon all my classes were done and I would just go ahead and do all my work in the afternoon and then just play in the evening and do you think
1: do you think this is is, is this genetic that you've inherited this energy or is it through um, you know your yoga and your 30 miles of running a week and that's and you're surfing does that give you
2: the energy that fuels the rest or I th- I think there is a bit of the latter, uh, you know, and maybe a bit of both there, Chris. Um, you know, I think there's there is you know th- there's a lot of studies out there about you know uh, how people are wired and whether you're a morning person or an evening person. Dan Pink uh, in his most recent book, uh, which is entitled "When," which is all about timing. You know, he talks about morning people versus evening people and things like that. And there's like a lot of studies around that. I'm just blessed to be a morning person naturally. And, um, and I think when, when you amplify those things through good ritual and good practice, um, and I also think that living a healthy lifestyle adds energy to all areas of your life. So for instance, by exercising, I sleep better by resting more and having good sleep. I'm actually more energized throughout the rest of the day.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I I really do. I really do get that. Um, I I, I personally
1: get that and uh, I've been. Exercising more and more over the last few months, and I'm really feeling the extra energy and the and the benefit and uh, less tiredness because of better sleep. So I think it, so it really does does work. So, what's um? Let's define curiosity. What is it?
2: Yeah, curiosity. I, I love the question, and uh, there are lots of ways to define that. And you know, I think you know, very few people actually pause to to take. Um, notice of really what curiosity is and what it what it really does in our lives. And you know to me, curiosity is is um, you know I think a lot of us that are in sort of these either creative industries or in the world of consulting or or even in the world of marketing and branding, uh, or even in the world of artistry, we're really professional noticers. So the act of noticing and pausing to suspend the things that we already know, and, you know, sort of the curse of being an expert and having lots of experiences, you go into situations and you feel like you know a lot of things. I think to constantly deploy a massive amount of humility and what we would consider beginner's mind uh, opens ourselves up to curiosity. So, really, from my perspective, curiosity is, is sort of a state of dynamic neutral where you're holding a space that you're suspending what you believe you already know and you're opening yourself up to either learn, discover, create, or innovate in any way you can possibly do that. And there's lots of ways to enter into that. But, you know, my simplest definition is, you know, curiosity is a state of dynamic neutral that we can all practice as, as often as we want.
1: Excellent. So you got to, you got to suspend your ego, uh, and, uh, And, you know, be prepared to notice and observe and learn.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's one of the things that I talk about when I talk about curiosity. You cannot know something and learn something at the same time. You also (laughs) cannot consume and create at the same time. So, you know, in the world of social media, which we can get into a big conversation around that, is, you know, we're constantly, our, our our faces are constantly in some kind of a screen. And most of the time, when we're looking at those screens, we're actually consuming some type of information. And it's kind of a curiosity killer.
1: I, I think it is, isn't it? it? And how, it'd be interesting to see, you know, how much, uh, you know, loss of creativity we we have in terms of... Impact of the world through devices and the amount of amount of gaming time and technological time um that occurs. It's a really uh, important question, I think, for for today's um, today's period of uh, of life, really.
2: Yes, absolutely. yeah, yeah, we could get into a, a deep conversation around that should you want to.
1: Absolutely. we'll We'll talk um a little bit more about that after the break. I think we've got about a you know, we've got about a, a sort of a minute left. I mean, no, we haven't, we've got about 30 seconds left. I think what we'll do is we'll go to commercial break and after the break, let's have a, just a little bit more, you know, think about what the benefits of curiosity that, and what can it bring to you, um, to your work. And then let's get into um, some of these uh, sort of questions about how we we really start to um, ensure we we maintain this curiosity and leverage it. So we'll be back with you again in just a couple of minutes to join us.
0: Facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. We
2: hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff.
0: When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper.
1: Hi, it's Chris Cooper. I'm with Stephen Morris. And Stephen and I were actually having a really fascinating conversation over the break uh, about uh, his morning rituals. And he just explained to me how he's kind of fine-tuned them um, over time. And I think this... uh, This is an opportunity in these times, you know, early in the day, to to really um, utilize this uh, this skill of curiosity. So, just intrigued. Maybe Stephen, just before we move on to you know some of the benefits and some of the elements, maybe you just want to share a little bit about how you are. You know, you have um, honed your rituals.
2: Yeah, great, thank you, Chris. Yeah, so you know, it's interesting. Uh, I um, and Chris, you and I have talked about this a little bit. So, I have have, um, worked. For many years in uh, in morning exercise type of routines and years and years and years ago, I was a competitive cyclist and then I got into triathlons and and things of that nature and and so my morning ritual back then used to be you know get up first thing and um, you know hit the bike or hit the road uh, for a run or whatever and then I would spend you know a couple hours doing that or ninety minutes or so to get a good workout in and then I would go in and start my day. And then, um, you know, I I found myself spending so much time preparing for races and things of that nature that I sort of wanted to back off on some of that and actually tap into uh, this natural rhythm that we as humans have where we wake up and sometimes, uh, I'll speak for myself here, I'm immediately thinking about work and problem solving and things like that. But the reality is when we come out of our, our sleep state, we're still a little bit, you know, we're, we're a little bit in the bridge between our, our subconscious world and our conscious world. And so one of the things that I, I, I did many, many years ago is to begin to deploy a practice where the first thing that I do when I, when I get up is meditate. And then I journal In a couple of different ways uh, to keep into that sort of subconscious state and tap into uh, some of the deeper parts of my world. And these are not necessarily spiritual practices, but they are very meditative and calming practices. And the journaling has been very uh, potent from a self exploration and cathartic perspective. But it also leans into the curiosity side of things, which has to do with. Well, how is it that I want to show up in my world, live my life and and suspend the things that I already know and be a constant learner for the world that I'm living in? So my ritual now looks like precisely that. I wake up, I meditate, I set a timer for that meditation, usually about 20, 25 minutes, sometimes a half hour. And then I spend about 15 or 20 minutes journaling. I have a process in doing that. And, and, and then I stop that and then I start moving at that point and we will usually either go for a run, do some meditation or excuse me, do some yoga or head out and hit the surf or something like that. And by that time, it's, you know, 7 o'clock, 7.30 rolls around and I'm ready to work and I do my deep work in the morning and I find that because of that morning ritual, I have a massive amount of deeper focus in the deep work that I'm doing in the morning.
1: Wow. Wow. So, uh, so 20, you're getting up about five o'clock and you're meditating 20, 25 minutes and you're journaling. So, that takes up your first hour. And then, if you've got a, about an hour of moving, then.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. By the yoga or, or you're surfing or you're going for a run.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And then, even from uh, from a nutrition standpoint, I tend to fast most mornings. Um, and so, I'll you, know, I'll, you know, I'll eat a meal, uh, you know, I don't know, 5.30 or 6 o'clock, and then I don't really eat another meal until about 11.30 or noon the next day. Uh, I'll sometimes do a little protein smoothie or often do a little protein smoothie first thing in the morning. But that's, you know, it, it actually, it, it, it energizes me. It's, uh, it's a fascinating process.
1: Why do you do that? Because many people, I was looking at some information recently that was suggesting that, you know, uh, to eat a good meal in the morning is actually the most important meal and you eat less at night.
2: Yeah, um, I actually believe, I understand that and I, I know the science behind that and I also have been studying up on um, sort of micro fasting where you actually, do, you know, you hold back your body from having big nutrition for a period of, uh, you know, 12 to 14 hours and it actually readjusts your metabolism and especially after you do a workout, if you don't feed yourself right away. It it increases your metabolism and taps into different parts of your body.
1: Mm. Amazing. Yeah. Um, so we, we're talking about so so you've got yourself from your meditation and you're moving and your, so you're so you've done you're talking your journaling. Um, you know, a lot of kind of curiosity takes place at that point in time in your day, and then you're going into this sort of deeper work. But what do you what do you find are the real the real benefits. Is, that, is, that, is, it that, is it the ability to do that deeper work more effectively?
2: It is that. And and I think something worth talking about here, Chris, is that, you know, the and this is probably a very common issue uh for most of the people that you and I both run into and, and probably most of the listeners here, is that, you know, we're we're living in a world today that has Huge demands for a fast paced and screen filled life that we're living. Uh, we're constantly on the go. We are constantly looking at screens. I saw a video up on YouTube um, uh, just a couple of days ago of four people in four young millennials in a gondola in Venice all on their phones mm. and and lord knows what they were looking at but here they paid you know i think it's like 100 euro a hundred euro ahead just to go on a gondola ride in 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 venice let alone the cost of getting there and there they were on their phones and i just really wonder and i ask myself very frequently what really are we missing by the amount of screen time that we're spending And so instead, I, you know, I think about what are the antidotes to that and what are truly sort of what I would consider the friends of curiosity. And first and foremost, it would be stepping away from your screen as much as possible. um, And then heading out, at least from my perspective, there's huge benefits to heading out into nature and tapping into, you know, silence and stillness and presence and what the Greeks would consider aesthesis, which is uh, the uh, experiential and sensory connection with what nature has to offer. Um, You know, finding ourselves in places with wide horizons, going for walks on the beach or up on mountaintops and things like that. And when we do those things, we actually shift our mental and emotional state into realms that can invite a much deeper realm of curiosity and exploration of not just the strategic things that we're working out in our world, such as, you know, the work things or even, you know, money issues or or things like that, but really the, the bigger questions of life, which is, why am I here? How do I want to live my life? What is my relationship to the world around me, uh, and not just the natural world, but the, the the physical world, and even perhaps the unseen world, um, which would be the mystical world or the world of you know creativity and innovation, where where all of that comes from. And then I think it also by having that sense of true humility. Um, which the root of that is being, you know, humble and therefore then deeply connected and grounded into the earth, we then can enter our all of our relationships, work-wise or otherwise, with a deeper sense of openness and uh, perhaps even then a deeper sense of curiosity for uh, for these types of questions and for the relationships that, that we have.
1: Wow. That's... Uh... There's a lot of this curiosity. <laughs> yeah, there is. I said, yeah, and I think that's, uh, I think that's, you know, helpful to think about this, in, in the respect that actually it's not just being curious about the external world; it's being about curious about your internal world, isn't it? As well as what's around you, and and you know, asking those those fundamentally deep questions about getting clear about them why you are here and how you want to live your life. Um, by missing out on that uh, that important part of the world was to spend most of our time just reacting to what's happening externally rather than being driven internally. Is that correct or making any sense?
2: Yeah, I think it's correct for a lot of people. I think you know we because because we're there's so much media and screens and information coming at us all all the time. You know we're 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 constantly bombarded, and you know God bless all the. Um, the the great technology companies, you know, Samsung and Apple and folks like that, who have made technology that is easily accessible and highly portable and, and taps us into all kinds of information. But the challenge with information is that it really, it it can inform us, but it doesn't necessarily always grow us, especially the types of content uh, we're depending on the types of content that we're absorbing. Um, you know, a, a great podcast like this can absolutely be informi- informative and be inspiring for asking us broader questions about how we're living our lives but you know sometimes the feeds of facebook and or twitter and or you know linkedin or even you know the new york times or things like that they're 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 informing us in very very different ways and to your question and your point about you know how, how does it how does the practices in our in our world and even the way that we go about living our lives how do they inform our our relationship with our inner world um, or the mysterious or the creative within us, I think the more that we practice those things, the more they're going to come out. And the more that we can deploy ourselves into uh, a relationship with our inner world, the more that we can live and work uh, with a a deeper sense of creativity and innovation and, and even showing up with a lot of curiosity in what we're doing.
1: I think a couple of years ago, I, I used to have a, a Time subscription and I would look at the Times on my phone, the, the London Times, and I, I cancelled it and I got a call from them and they asked me, why did you cancel it? And I said, because actually by reading the Times every day uh, and reading what you have, your view on the world, uh, it's actually leaving me thinking it's not a good place and it's, it's impacting my mood for the day. Uh, so actually, I'd rather not read it and just choose to selectively want to read and spend a bit more time uh, working on myself than um, taking what you have to say as being kind of gospel. Because I found it was impacting my general you know, demeanor. I was starting to feel more negative about, uh, uh, you know, about the reality of the world uh, through reading and consuming that day in, day out.
2: Yeah, I, I hear you loud and clear there. And I canceled my Wall Street Journal subscription for the same reason and uh, am considering canceling my New York Times subscription for the same reason. You know, you think about, um, you know, if you're in the marketing advertising world, you you understand, and even if you're in that sort of the, the awareness of consumer world, you understand that, A, you know, these people at these great uh, publications are very good journalists. But at the end of the day, there are also businesses that need to attract people. And sometimes the, the the practices that they deploy to attract people, such as with scare tactics and headlines that are utterly alarming, uh, it isn't actually the reality of our world. And if we feed ourselves too much of that information, then we can have a very skewed perspective on the times that we're actually living in or the life that we can actually choose to live. So good for you for for noticing that and shifting that.
1: So how do we, um, you know, I've no, I noticed that, uh, you, you know, children, I've got, my my children are eight and 12 are boys and a little bit, they're younger than, than yours. Uh, but certainly the youngest one just continuously asks questions. The older one's got a bit more into technology and spends uh, more time on that, which is slightly concerns me. But how do we continue to ask those questions? Because often they get uh, people ask less and become more, you know, accepting of what's around them and not as good at questioning. Um, but how do we ensure that we keep that ability to to keep on questioning Uh, And also, there's another question there is how do we ensure our kids uh, can keep that uh, great skill as well?
2: Yeah, I mean, Chris, it sounds like in the conversations that we've had um, between you and I that you have a great relationship with your kids. And part of that is that you're getting them out into the world where there isn't screens or where there are less opportunity to have screens. And I've deployed more or less the same kind of thing. You know, both of my sons are musicians, for instance. And so as much as possible, I'm going to encourage them to, hey, let's go play some music because I fiddle around with the guitar a little bit and can barely keep up with my, my 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 younger son who is much more accomplished already than I am, which is great. And he's now teaching me things with music. Um, so it's getting them into activities that actually uh, that can do a couple of different things. One of which to to foster opportunities for conversations that you and I, uh, you and you and they can have together uh, that aren't about the media or aren't about uh, social media or or any of those things. And their face isn't in the screen, you know, half the time when you're when you're attempting to have a conversation with them. And then secondarily, you know, we go for walks uh, in the canyons near our home as much as possible, and or or to the beach. And you know, when you when you go on those walks, you're you're not looking at your phone. You're having a conversation about whatever's coming up. And I think to sort of invite and instigate those kinds of things uh, and encourage that. Is you're doing a couple of different things with it. You're you're building a deeper relationship with them uh, that isn't based upon screen time. You're getting them out in nature, which is developing a new practice for them, and then you're exploring all kinds of things that might have that might come up in that natural world. And so it, it takes it it takes the relationship into a completely different set of beautiful things.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah. I think uh, yeah. I, I think I was talking to you just before the break uh, my my oldest son spent quite, quite a bit into technology we've had a few little struggles of late to uh, try and minimize that and uh, but that's what he's kind of kind of drawn to um, but last last night I took him to see Mark Beaumont is gonna be a guest on this show in a, a, a few weeks time who's um, who's cycled around the world in under 80 days uh, and he, he, we met him before the event and which was great and there's a couple of hundred people there and my son was really um, getting interested and, and was really enjoying it which was lovely to see because sometimes he uh, he's met some great people and not shown as much interest as I might have hoped but he was maybe it's his age and development but he made me so proud because uh, he asked me um, dad you know what does what does he eat when he's uh, he's doing you know 230 miles a day for 78 and a half days on his bike uh, and I said ask him uh, and he put his hand up and uh, he got received the microphone and he asked him the most eloquent question and in that moment I was just so proud of my son and you know the little bit of frustration I've had of late just disappeared and just thought we've got to do more of this together I've got to involve him more in some of this stuff because um, you know it's important for both of us
2: yeah, absolutely. And, and what he practiced there was, you know, he was very present for that conversation or the presentation. And if you're not present for something, you won't come up with that beautiful question, which he asked and had the courage to ask in front of that big audience. So kudos to you and kudos to him for stepping up and doing that.
1: Yeah, you just made me think. I'm maybe going to ask him to come and sit on. If he wants to come and sit in on some of these conversations as well, because I think that would be a great opportunity for him. That um, that's just to, to add to his curiosity. Um, so we're going to go to commercial break again now. After the commercial break, we'd like to really ask you, you know, a few tips about becoming more curious, but also this is a really important skill in the workplace. And how do we get? help our staff to become more curious like the example with um, Costa Coffee there and the uh, senior director I was talking to Uh, they they see that as being essential for people coming into the business so we'll be back with you again in just a couple of minutes
2: Voice America Business Network the bottom line in business
0: Together in conversations that make a difference, right here on the Voice America Business Channel, every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program one-to-one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you.
2: The business
0: community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. You were tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper.
1: Hi, this is Chris Cooper. I'm with Stephen Morris. We're talking about curiosity. And uh, Stephen, I'm really curious now to talk about curiosity in the workplace. And when we were... Having a conversation a few weeks ago, you talked to me about um, about Hawaii and some of the amazing people on Hawaii, and you shared a really great story. And I think that might be a brilliant way to start this section to talk about uh, you know that as a, an example, and uh, then to think about you know how we really utilize this in the workplace. So can you tell us about Hawaii, please?
2: Yes, yeah, um, it's uh, well, first and foremost, it, it is a beautiful. And ancient culture that um, you know, aside from the you know the Elvis Presley films and the you know the the tourism of. Uh, you know, th- that most of us would see about Hawaii, there's there's actually uh, quite a deep culture that is driven upon sort of the, uh, you know, Hawaiian traditions, the true Hawaiian t- traditions. And there's many people in the islands that actually still speak the Hawaiian language and still live up to, you know, some of the practices um, that, that come from that particular tradition. And they also find themselves... Um, Uh, making their way into sort of the business practices that happen there and you know throughout Hawaii but especially into you know and Oahu and and, uh, Honolulu which is their biggest city over there. So a couple of years ago uh, we were being asked to do some work with um, a, a, a private organization over there and and you know, just with foresight, knowing the, the little bit that I did know about the Hawaiian culture and how different they actually operate and and the tradition, uh, this was a 150-year-old organization. I wanted to tap into some Hawaiian understanding of the way that they do business there, and so I talked to some friends who are Hawaiian, uh, Hawaiian-born, and Hawaii natives. Uh, both here on, uh, in San Diego, since we're fairly close to Hawaii, uh, but also um, folks there in Hawaii who gave me some great tips on, you know, how to enter into that world. And one of the great tips that I got was this this concept, this idea, and this practice of what they call practicing mana'o. And it's spelled M-A-N-A with, um, with an apostrophe O. And really the practice is as you enter into... Any new conversation or any new relationship, be it in business or with a new family or someone you're meeting, it is the act of humility and asking very open-ended questions in order to learn about the organization, the people, the people that run it before you or we or I as an expert would step into it as an expert and say, well, here's what I think you should do and I, I'm an expert at this and that, that's the last thing they want to hear. They want to hear that you that you care about them. they want to hear that you're curious about who they are and how they work and uh, and they and they this practicing of mana'o is, Uh, Is quite a beautiful practice, and it actually is a a very prolonged sort of stage of getting to know any of the organizations over there. Um, An interesting thing is is it bleeds into sort of two other really sort of well-known things. Uh, One thing that we would practice here in Western culture, which is it's their way of brainstorming. And they brainstorm – they don't call it brainstorming, but they practice manao in their ideation practice – through the practice of open and asking open-ended questions, and and you know what we would call as you know, the why, the five whys, and you know drilling down into the, the heart and soul of why people ask certain things, um, and then the other the other element to this, which is very important to them, is it's a tone setting for respect. And so, as we enter into any new potential relationship, I think this this it's it's potentially very transferable to practice mana'o as we enter into any new relationship, be it uh, someone at the grocery store or someone uh, that we're getting to know in a business environment or a new friend and things like that, to just be open and inquisitive and ask very open, humility-centric, open-ended questions to really get to know them and not make assumptions about who we think they are. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. So I'm writing a
1: few notes now. It's going to be got me thinking. I've got, I think I've got about um, got, uh, 12 or 13 mini coaching sessions on Monday and Tuesday before a team development event. So, so my mind suddenly went to how can I integrate the more Manaho into how I run those sessions on Monday and Tuesday? Because uh, it'll be very easy to get into, yeah, into trying to help them sort the problems out without uh, really, really understanding. Then yeah. Yeah. yeah but when you do don't you something special happens when you 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 do um adopt that discipline though, doesn't it?
2: yeah, 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 and it's something i've uh I've practiced in in my you know consultancy business and even in my agency, uh, where you know I sort of have this ninety ten rule of ninety percent of the time, especially in in the first conversation with a with a client or a customer. Um, I'm asking questions so that they're talking 90% of the time and I'm only talking 10% of the time, which yes. tends to go around um, or, 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 or about uh, setting the stage very differently than you know, a lot of folks in a new business situation or a new relationship feel like they really have to prove themselves. So they talk a lot about their background, their experience, and, you know, in in the agency world, they're showing portfolio and, you know, they're really sort of dominating the conversation. And I tend to take the complete opposite task where I, um, uh, you know, really ask them a lot of questions to really get to know their business uh, to hopefully understand where the biggest challenges are to determine whether or not. I'm the right kind of person to help solve those challenges or at least approach those challenges in new and unique and different ways. Brilliant.
1: So how do you, what what tips do you have then to help your people to become more curious?
2: Yeah, so I I run a, a good deal of workshops around curiosity, and uh, and as you noted early on, I also do some keynotes around curiosity, and and uh, you know, and some of the time I'll I'll team up a keynote with a workshop afterwards, so I'm getting people to to think about curiosity, and I think um, you know some of the things that I've talked about already, which is you know listening without judgment or suspending your own expertise, and, or even suspending your ego. Um, There's potential practices and there's real practices around those kinds of things. But some of that uh, can be best utilized by asking really great questions. And what I've done and what I do in some of my workshop uh, work is to take people through exercises where I'm really asking them uh, to ask four different kinds of questions. And so the first kind of question might be, uh, what we would consider a dumb question, which are, in my opinion, there's no such thing as a dumb question because it's really just an uninformed question. Uh, but a dumb question is really asked with a sense of humility. So I go back to the humility thing and you know reminding ourselves what humility actually is, which is a, a deep groundedness into the earth. So being very connected and, and coming from a humble perspective. So that's sort of the first set of questions that you could ask. Uh, Another set of questions might be in the realm of what we would consider catalytic questions, which are questions that lead to better questions and better outcomes. Uh, So That could take lots of different forms uh, and and would also um, get around the way that we typically ask questions, which are strategic centric and looking to immediately solve the problem, but having very open-ended questions that ideally lead to better questions. Because, as we know, you know, sometimes in the world, it's not, it's not the, it's not just that we're asking questions; it's asking the right questions that can solve the right problem. Mm-hmm. And then the third side of things, uh, or the third style of questions that I I help people get through, is what we consider blue sky questions, and these are questions that you know you sort of like put your feet up on the desk, you look out at it a big horizon, and you're really asking, what if? Um, Or what could it be? And here we're permitting ourselves to get a little bit audacious, a little bit courageous, or maybe a lot courageous about dreaming of the big things uh, that can actually happen out of the situations that we're grappling with. And then the fourth um, line of questions, which I find to be some of the most potent types of questions, is what uh, our mutual colleague and and friend David White would call beautiful questions. Um, so these are questions that really are more likely to apply to our personal lives, but they can apply to our vocational journeys. And there, there are questions sometimes when we're considering a new path or a new a road that we're forging. And there are questions, as as David would talk about, that, that don't have an easy answer, first and foremost. Um, there are questions that can't be answered with what we would call the strategic minds who have to pull in parts of yourself that uh, are of the unseen world, the the sort of the mystical world or the subconscious world. Um, and really, sometimes they can be answered from the gut or the heart. And then they're really questions that you sort of have to sit with because they, they don't have easy answers. You really have to kind of live with them for a period of time. And, you know, there's certain beautiful questions that I've asked um, myself through my journaling that... They sort of stumped me and i've I've actually had to live with them for a couple of months before I even understood the impact and the potency of those particular questions. Okay. Can you give me an example of a beautiful question yeah so um, so what, what so one question that i that I asked myself in the past which which really stopped me in my tract was am am I Am I living the life, are the things that I'm practicing and doing leading me to the life that I want to be living? And really what I meant by that is the way that I was building my daily routines and the way that I was approaching my life, the person that I was practicing to be, is that the person I really wanted to become? And... Unfortunately or fortunately, the answer to that question when I asked it at that period of time in my life was no. And so when you bump up into that realization, first asking the question and then realizing that I am not the, the, the person that I want to become is not the person that, that I'm practicing to be, it really makes you take stock of how I'm spending my my daily time. And it really, you know, it caused all kinds of stuff, which would be you know, fodder for very different kinds of conversation, which was a vocational pivot and a recalibration of the way that I um, uh, uh, you know, kind of created my, my daily rituals and my daily journey journeys and journal, journaling and things of that nature. So really, it, it, it kind of changed my life for the better, but it was also incredibly daunting and, and quite scary when I answered that question with the answer no.
1: Wow. That's, um, that's an, it's an incredible question that it's, uh, yeah, that's one I think you can, I I really understand why that's a beautiful question. You you can spend a lot of time really, um, analyzing that and, and relating it to yourself and then uh, thinking about how you can live it differently. Um, I've, uh, Bring that down on my piece of paper, I should be reflecting on that one. Yeah,
2: and it might be you know, it's, it'd be interesting. And I started doing this uh, sort of at the end of every year, asking myself that same question. Um, because I think it was so potent for me in my life and kind of determining my life direction and the things that I wanted to be doing in the time that, the time that I wanted to be spending on the things that I wanted to do that I think it's worth revisiting every year to make sure that I'm on track to, uh, be practicing to the, the to become the person that I want to be.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think you can, um, review that, uh, one very regularly, um, I think once you get clear. Well, I just realized we've only got a couple of minutes left, so we're going to have to sort of wrap it up here, really. Do you, do you have any final messages that you'd like to leave us with?
2: Yeah, you know, just echoing some of the things that um, I, we talked about earlier. You know, the, one of the things that I would invite people to do is to um, be very mindful about the way that they build their daily rituals and especially the, the way that they both enter their day, uh, as I talked about with my morning rituals, and I think also the way that they close their day. Um, so, for instance, John O'Donohue and his book Anam Karam, that he asked a question within that that I started now journaling at night on, which is, what did I really see today? What did I really see today? Wow. And when I asked, when I started writing that in, in the journal, which really only started a few days ago, I wrote an entire page of four just magnificent things that I, if I hadn't paused to reflect on those things, I think they would have just gone right by. And one of those things was actually watching my, my youngest son vote for the first time wow. and reflecting on that particular experience.
1: So I'm going to have to stop you there because we've run out of time. I've absolutely loved talking to you, Stephen. There's so much information and ideas and thoughts that have come out today. And, you know, really, it it's, uh, will get a lot of people thinking, I think, about their rituals, uh, about the way they really uh, adopt this um, this sort of curiosity. So a huge thank you for being on the show today. To find out more about um, uh, the work of uh, Stephen Morris, um, com is The Mth Degree. Is that the best site to, to look that at, That sure Stephen?
2: is, yeah, yeah.
1: So the MthDegree.com. And on next week's show, we have uh, another incredible guest. Leon Logothetis is joining us to talk about kindness and connection. He's the host of the uh, global sh- Netflix show, um, The uh, Kindness Diaries, and other shows. He's uh, circumnavigated the world into over 90 countries. He's done a huge amount to spread kindness around the world. So do join us for that show again. Once again, an enormous thank you to Stephen Morris. Have you got any thoughts, ideas? Do send an email to Chris at Chris chris at chriscooper.co.uk I always love to hear from you so once again thank you Stephen and uh, wish you all well
0: We thank you for listening to the Business Elevation Show Please join your host Chris Cooper again next Friday at 8am US Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel Be more, achieve more